Good morning, brothers and sisters. I pray this Lord's Day finds you resting in God's sovereign care. Even though we cannot gather together, we trust that the Lord is near to us, particularly through His Holy Spirit and through His Word. The elders continue to pray for you. We want you to know that. And we're actively planning and praying and working uh, for when we can gather together again. And we do continue to pray, ask you to pray that that, that that date would be very soon. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be finishing out this powerful chapter of Scripture by looking at verses 40 to 56. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. And please follow along with me as we hear the Word of God. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, He implored Him to come to His house. For He had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around Him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Him and touched the fringe of His garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched Me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father, we do ask for your help now that you would allow our hearts and minds to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to savingly and faithfully understand what you have revealed to us in the Scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, Father, and that we would have uh, the strength to comprehend what is the height and breadth and depth and love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Father, please keep me from error. Please grant your people discernment. And even in these unusual times, Father, we do rest our confidence on the fact that your word does not return to you void. Would you do a work in our hearts and lives today, God? Would you do a work and bear fruit 
for the glory of your Son and for the good of our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, we confess that our lives are to be lived by faith. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And we now live by faith alone, depending on the grace that God alone provides in the Gospel. This is foundational or basic, you could say, to Christianity. Christians are a people who live by faith. And yet, we should also confess that it is sometimes difficult to carry out this life of faith, isn't it? We spoke a few weeks ago about the need to exercise faith. But there are moments when that act of exercising faith seems as hard as moving a mountain. Have you ever had those moments as a Christian? I know I have. And so this question arises, what should we do in those moments? We know that faith is foundational to the Christian life. We sing and confess that truth quite often. So what do we do when the exercise of faith seems rather difficult? Well, our passage this morning, friends, in Luke chapter 8, provides some encouragement and some counsel at precisely this point. Here in Luke 8, we witness faith in the face of seemingly impossible circumstances. What Luke describes in this memorable passage is the triumph of faith over fear. Jesus encounters two situations that appear hopeless, at least from the human perspective. These are the kind of situations that strike fear in the hearts of most people. And yet, and yet, in both instances, faith is exercised and the Lord works in remarkable ways. And it's that last piece, brothers and sisters, that is the key both to this passage and to the exercise of vibrant faith. What makes the difference in these seemingly hopeless situations in Luke chapter 8? What makes the difference? Not the people who have faith, but rather the one in whom they place their faith. Do you see it? Faith triumphs over fear in this text because faith looks to Jesus Christ, the one whose power knows no limits. In fact, our passage today is a pinnacle point in Luke's presentation of Jesus, at least here in this chapter. If you start back in verse 22, you'll notice a growing picture of Jesus' power. Look back and follow along with me. Verses 22 to 25, Jesus has power over the physical realm. He calms the storm. Verses 26 to 39, Jesus has power over the spiritual realm. He drives out an army of demons. Now, verses 40 to 56, Jesus has power over unseen and ultimate foes. He heals incurable diseases and He even raises the dead. Friends, Luke could not have made the picture any clearer. From the physical realm to the spiritual and even on to death itself, nothing rivals Jesus Christ. 
He is God in the flesh, the Son of God, sent for us and for our salvation. And He has power that can deliver from even the most hopeless situations. That's the truth that stands at the center of this passage. Jesus alone has the power to save, and His power cannot be stopped. And therefore, friends, we can and we should trust Him. You see, that's why Luke puts these truths together the way that he does in Luke chapter 8. Truth gives birth to godliness. Truth strengthens and sustains faith. And so it is here in this passage just like it is in every other passage in the Bible. The truth of this text is that Jesus alone has the power to save and therefore the takeaway is that we can trust Him. And we can trust Him no matter the circumstances. So let's spend our time this morning considering three features of the kind of faith that depends on Jesus alone. As you look at the text there in your Bibles, you can quickly see that this passage is a masterpiece of presentation. If you know me, you know that the Gospels are my favorite portion of the Bible. And within the Gospels, this is my absolute favorite text. And this passage is a masterpiece of gospel presentation. There are three parts to the passage. Verses 40 to 42, Jesus meets Jairus. Verses 43 to 48, Jesus is interrupted by the woman in physical distress. And then verses 49 to 56, Jesus finally gets to Jairus' house. So the two storylines, Jairus' daughter and, and the woman with the physical suffering, those two storylines are woven together. And we're supposed to read them in light of one another. In fact, even the details clue us into that. Notice, how old is Jairus' daughter? She's 12 years old. How long has the woman suffered with the issue of blood? 12 years. Also, Jairus is concerned for whom? His daughter. What does Jesus call the woman? Verse 48, he calls her daughter. The only time in the entirety of the Gospels that Jesus calls anyone by this name. So both the presentation and the details are telling you, friends, read these stories together. Read them together. And when we do that, when we read these two storylines together, what we find are three features of the kind of faith that depends on Jesus alone. So let's note those features together in order that our hearts might be encouraged. First of all, in verses 40 to 42, Luke shows us the humility of faith. The humility of faith. Jesus has now returned to the western side of the Sea of Galilee, verse 40, where he finds the enthusiasm for his ministry has not decreased, not in the least of all. The crowd continues to welcome Jesus, and there is a sense of expectation still surrounding his ministry. But in the midst of that crowd, a man approaches Jesus. Notice again verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. This is the first time we've met Jairus, and after this passage, we don't meet him again. Luke tells us that Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. What does that mean? Well, synagogues, you may know, were the local places of worship within the Judaism of Jesus' day. 
you would go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple for the various festivals, but throughout the rest of the year, you would worship at your local synagogue there in in your town. So Jairus, it appears, is responsible for that weekly worship at the synagogue. He's not a priest. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a scribe. But Jairus is a man with religious authority. And he is a man with some social standing. People know this guy, in other words. This is not some random man from the crowd approaching Jesus. This is the synagogue ruler, and most people would know him. But notice then what this man of authority and standing does as he comes to Jesus. Again, verse 41. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, we should use our sanctified imaginations and try to picture this moment. Here is a man whom everyone knows, a man of authority and respectability and social standing, and he falls down before this itinerant preacher from Nazareth, this man, Jesus. Jairus falls down and he begs for Jesus' help. Jairus is normally the one getting asked for help, but here he's the one who's doing asking his daughter, his only daughter, Luke tells us, is near the point of death. You see, Jairus is desperate, isn't he? He's desperate. But do you know what else Jairus is at this point? He's humble. He's humble. Listen, Jairus knows he cannot help his daughter. For all of his authority and all of his standing and all of his respectability, Jairus is helpless. I mean, he clearly loves his daughter very much, but still, even the most intense feelings of love can't heal an illness. Jairus needs help. And that help must come from where? It must come from outside of himself. And so Jairus goes to Jesus, and he goes because on some level, he believes that Jesus has the power to help his little girl. His desperation drives him to humility, and his humility is an expression of some, on some level of the fact that he believes Jesus can help him. Listen, I'm not saying Jairus is expressing fully formed, mature faith, but he does trust that Jesus has the power to deal with this situation. He does trust that Jesus can help him. And that trust, friends, is expressed here in verse 41 through humility. It's expressed through humility. Brothers and sisters, this is an important point as we learn to think biblically about faith. At its core, true faith is always marked by the humble recognition that I cannot meet my own need. I must rely on someone other than myself for the help that I cannot provide. You see, that kind of humility is at the core of true faith. And as Christians, that humility should always lead us to Jesus Christ. We see our need, we feel our desperation, and in response, we place our trust in Jesus' power to help, to deliver, and to save. Friends, listen to me. No matter how much you mature as a Christian, you never mature beyond this kind of humility. On on some level, every day of the Christian life is marked by this same confession. 
I cannot help or save or sustain myself. I must depend on someone other than me, and that someone is Jesus, who alone has the power to sustain me. Friends, is your life marked by that kind of daily humility? Each day, do you place yourself through prayer before the face of God? And do you acknowledge your trust and your need for His power that alone can sustain you? Or, have you slowly embraced the opposite mindset, which is so easy to slip into, the prideful, self-reliant mindset The mindset that says faith is a one-time thing for the Christian. And after you've believed the first time, you're pretty much capable of handling life on your own. Listen, friends, that kind of thinking is an expression of pride. Have you ever thought of unbelief or daily neglect of seeking the Lord? Have you ever thought of that as an expression of pride? It's what it is. It is an expression of pride. It's the confession that I am quite capable enough on my own, thank you very much. And so faith, and I'm talking here about the daily exercise of faith in Christ. Faith is always a humbling of ourselves where we trust that Jesus alone can keep us. Where we confess that we are not capable of sustaining ourselves. Is that true of your confession in daily life. Is that true of you? And here's the good news, friends. Through this humility of faith, when we do live this way, through this humility of faith, God works to keep us faithful to Him. All of that to say, let's not breeze too quickly past Jairus there in verse 41, bowing before the feet of Jesus. What we see in that moment from the synagogue ruler is a picture of the kind of humility that must mark every Christian's daily expression of faith. It's the humility of faith. But as we continue on in the passage, we quickly find that there is someone else in the crowd who is also in a desperate position. The scene shifts in verse 43. And with that shift, Luke now pictures for us the boldness of faith. The boldness of faith. In verse 43, we're introduced to a woman whose life is heartbreaking. Notice what Luke writes, verse 43. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Friends, verse 43 makes clear that this woman's life is exceedingly difficult. To begin with, she is afflicted with considerable physical suffering. She has this uh, physical condition. It's likely an internal hemorrhage that has caused her pain and distress for 12 years. So she's physically unwell. But what's more, she's also financially destitute. She spent all of her money on every doctor she can find And none of them have been able to help her, though they were glad to keep taking her money. So physically afflicted and penniless, like Jairus, this woman is desperate. But the worst part of the woman's situation 
is the social cost. According to the law of Moses, Leviticus 15, this woman is ceremonially unclean. And she has been unclean for 12 years. She is unclean and everything she touches is also made unclean. In fact, if you touched something that she touched, then you were now unclean too. So do you see how this woman's condition essentially makes her an outcast? She's an outcast. She's a pariah. She cannot live in the midst of the community because she would make everyone else unclean. And taken together, the only conclusion at this point is that the woman is hopeless. Physical suffering, financial devastation, social outcast. By all appearances, you should just write this lady off. Right? Like some people's lives spiral to such a point that it's just like there's, no, there's nothing that can be done. Her situation is hopeless. But notice what happens in verse 44. It's staggering. The woman does what every social convention would tell her not to do. She boldly reaches out in faith. Verse 44. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of His garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Brothers and sisters, don't miss the remarkable display of power here from the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows up in two ways. One, He is not made unclean by the woman's touch. Remember, everything she touches, whether it's a couch or a chair or a shirt or a friend, everything she touches is made unclean, but not Jesus. But not Jesus. He's not made unclean. Rather, and this is the second display of His power, He immediately makes the woman clean. Do you see it? Immediately, Luke tells us, the woman's condition is healed. Immediately. Twelve years of suffering gone. Now, the physical healing is amazing enough. It's remarkable. But consider what this means for the woman's life overall. She's no longer an outcast. (laughs) She's clean. She can live in the community once more without fear or without shame of contaminating those around her. Friends, it's hard to overstate what a change this would mean from her life. Think about it. For 12 years, people have been backing up and recoiling from her, and they don't have to do that anymore. She doesn't have to be careful where she walks or where she sits. She doesn't have to have those awkward moments where she goes to the grocer and says, I'm sorry, I touched that stand of produce and so you got to get rid of all of it now because I'm unclean and I just made it unclean. You see, everything has changed. She is healed. Yes, that's amazing. And she is restored. Do you see it? She's healed and she is restored. She's clean because of Jesus. Now, that raises the central question of the entire encounter. And don't minimize the weight of this question. You're supposed to feel the weight of this question. Why would the woman touch Jesus? Remember, it was not acceptable for her to do such a thing. It was against the law. So why does she do it? Why? Well, guess what, friends? The Lord Jesus Himself shows us the answer because He doesn't want us to miss it. Notice how Jesus draws the woman out, beginning in verse 45. Jesus asks, who touched me? 
Of course, everybody's touching Jesus because the crowd is swarming around Him. So it seems a bit of a preposterous question. And even Peter is frustrated. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus keeps pressing the point. Verse 46, Someone touched me, He says, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Several times in Luke's Gospel, we're told that the power of God was with Jesus to heal. But don't make a mistake in thinking about that, friends. The power of God is not like some magical power that Jesus wields. Rather, it's divine power that Jesus possesses, that He bears as the Son of God. Divine power that He bestows according to His will. And evidently, Jesus is aware of when that divine power is at work. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how Jesus perceived such power leaving His body. For my part, I'll contend that Jesus' point here is not about how His power works. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I'll contend that Jesus is purposefully drawing this woman out into the open. He has a greater point that He wants to make, in other words. And indeed, that's precisely what happens. Notice verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Him and how she had been immediately healed. So, catch what is happening here, friends. What does the woman do at this point? Just think in very simple terms. What does she do? Well, she testifies to Jesus' power. Do you see it? By coming forward to confess that she touched Jesus, she ends up putting the spotlight where it ought to be, on the One who healed her. What happened in secret, the woman now makes public. And all of a sudden then, everyone sees a bit more clearly just how powerful this man Jesus is. Do you see? By coming forward, she puts the spotlight on the Lord. He healed me immediately, she says. He healed me immediately, though I've suffered for 12 years. Her confession, you see, highlights the power of God that's working through Jesus. But the Lord's not finished with her. Remember, she came trembling before Jesus. I love this part. She came trembling before Him. She's afraid. Perhaps of being condemned. Perhaps she's afraid of being rebuked for what she's done. But Jesus has no plans to rebuke her. He doesn't break the bruised reed. Rather, the Lord commends her. Notice verse 48. And He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Friends, no one else in the Gospels is called by this name, daughter. No one else gets addressed by this title, daughter. It's a term of affection. It's a term of warmth. It's certainly not a term you would use for an outcast. And Jesus now bestows it on this woman whom He has healed. And He's not merely being nice, friends. By, by bestowing this title on the woman, the Lord Jesus also publicly affirms that she is clean. He publicly affirms that she is restored. Let's not miss this point, friends. Jesus has healed her physically, but now He restores her within the community. Do you see it? 
Now everyone knows the woman is no longer an outcast. No one will be able to say, yeah, but are you sure you're really clean? No one will be able to say that to her because here this man who has the power of God looks her in the face and says, daughter, go in peace. He restores her. And he sends her out in peace. She no longer has to fear her status before God. This sense of peace here is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling in her mind. Peace here has to do with her status before God. She's not an outcast in the community, and she's not an outcast before the Creator. She has peace. She has assurance. She has confidence. And that peace brings comfort to her soul. You see, overall, it's a moving display of compassion on Jesus' part. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do this. He could have just kept on going. No one saw her touch Him. He could have just kept on going. But He takes the time to deal with those who need not only healing, but also those who need restoration. He's the Good Shepherd, remember? He heals and He restores. But the integral piece for us, friends, concerns the woman's faith. Remember, we asked a moment ago, why does she touch Jesus since it was not allowed to be done? Why does she touch Him? Remember, we asked that question. Now we have the answer. She believed that Jesus could heal her. She trusted that Jesus' power was greater than her hopeless situation. And through that boldness of faith, you see, it's bold. Faith is bold. Through the boldness of faith, she reached out and touched Jesus' garment. Brothers and sisters, this is another important feature of thinking biblically about faith. What is it? What is faith? At its core, it is a boldness that believes nothing is hopeless before Jesus Christ. Not even me. It's a boldness that believes nothing is beyond the ability of the living God to restore. Not even me. And therefore, even when things seem hopeless, therefore, even when you have devastated everything around you, you can place your trust in God who acts, who acts for His people. I boldly go before God with confidence, as the book of Hebrews says, and I believe that He is able to do far more abundantly than I can ask or imagine. But my life is hopeless, you say. No, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus makes the unclean clean. He heals and He restores. And so I'll just ask you today, friends, I wish I could see your faces to ask you this question. Is there some area of your life right now where you need this boldness of faith? Perhaps it's something that you have needed to confess for a long time. And even now, the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction to your heart. Perhaps it's something that has just haunted you with fear for forever. And you're always kind of living with this sense of dread. Is, is, the day, is today the day it all catches up to me? What should you do? How should you respond? Friends, you should boldly believe that Jesus is able to deal with such sin and that He's willing to that He's willing to. 
even the things that have been hidden for too long. The boldness of faith brings all of that into the light. The boldness of faith brings all of that into the light and says, I'm unclean, but I boldly believe that there is healing and restoration and forgiveness in Christ. Friends, please don't overlook the simple observation of this passage. Oftentimes, the simple observation is where the power is. Jesus heals the unclean. He makes the unclean clean. He restores the broken. And He restores the hopeless. And so you can come to Him boldly today. You can come to Him boldly. Not because of anything in yourself, but because of who He is. He is the One who makes the unclean clean. And He does so immediately. If you are far from Christ today, if you are convinced that your sin is too bad, or that your life is too far gone, whatever hopelessness you face this morning, hear God's Word, friend. Don't don't think about listening to a sermon from a man. I'm saying hear God's Word right here in Luke 8. Faith is marked by a bold trust that Jesus can heal any brokenness, even mine. And so the Bible, the very Word of God that does not lie, the Bible is calling to you, trust Him. Trust Him. Reach out with the boldness of faith and trust Him. And so this call to faith, this call to faith takes us into the very last section of the passage. In verses 49 to 56, the woman's example is applied to Jairus' need. And here we see the focus of faith. The focus of faith. We don't know how long Jesus has been talking with the woman, but in verse 49, it appears it was too long, at least for Jairus' daughter. A messenger arrives with the horrible news. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So once again, what do we see confronting the people in this passage? Hopelessness. Think of how devastating this would have been for Jairus. His only daughter is gone. And was it because Jesus lingered too long? Was it because Jairus was too slow to come and ask for help? I have kids. I can imagine what it was like for Jairus. Was it just too long? All sorts of questions would be swirling in his mind, many without answers. But the one thing he knows for certain is that his little girl is gone. But, as Jesus so often does in the Gospels, He flips the situation for Jairus. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now, Jesus knows the circumstances. Luke is clear that Jesus heard the report. He knows the little girl is dead. So what is Jesus getting at? What is He doing? What's His point? Well, you might say Jesus is putting two paths before Jairus. Or He is reminding Jairus that there are two paths in front of him. One path is the path of fear that focuses only on the circumstances. While the other path is faith. This act of trusting Jesus. And listen, we might think this is somewhat ridiculous on Jesus' part. 
maybe even heartless. Jairus' daughter has just died, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Trust me. What do you mean, don't be afraid? Death is ultimate, right? Death is as serious as it gets for human beings. Everybody dies. So we might think Jesus is being ridiculous. The call to faith is staggering on some level. But friends, don't miss the kindness of the Lord here. Look how all the pieces start to come together now. Don't miss the kindness of the Lord. What has Jairus just witnessed with his own eyes? He witnessed the unrivaled power of Jesus that brought healing to a hopeless situation. What's more, what did Jairus just hear Jesus say to this woman? Your faith has made you well. So put the pieces together. Jairus sees. He has already seen with his eyes what Jesus can do and where faith can go. So how can Jairus find faith in the face of such a hopeless situation? How can it be possible for this grieving father to turn away from fear and to trust in Jesus? The answer, friends, is found by focusing on who Jesus is and what He alone is able to do. Jesus knew what was coming for Jairus. So along the way, He gives him a picture. This is who I am. This is what I do. And this is where faith leads. It's the kindness of God to show Jairus what it looks like to put his faith in the One who can restore and save. Listen, I've said this time and time again over the last several weeks, and I've really said it throughout the whole life of our church. Faith takes its strength from its object. Faith takes its strength from its object. The pathway to vibrant, strong faith is never found inside of us. It's always found in looking to Jesus Christ. It's found in turning our attention away from what assails us, whether it be our sin or our circumstances. We turn our focus away from those things and we fix our eyes on who Jesus has revealed Himself to be. Don't fear. Look at Me, Jesus says. Look at Me. Fix your focus on Me, the Lord tells us. And I do mean focus on Him, brothers and sisters. I absolutely mean fix your eyes on what is true about Jesus and what is true about those who belong to Jesus. Go to the Scriptures every day and dig the roots of your heart down deep into what God says is true about His Son. How He is the image of the invisible God. How He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king of the church. How His blood is the once for all sacrifice for sinners. How even now He reigns from heaven's throne. How He is coming back one day and when He comes, no one and nothing will prevent Him from gathering His people to Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You go to the Bible and you sink the roots of your heart down into those truths and you do it every day and you pray for God to strengthen your faith. I absolutely mean focus on Him. Understand, friends, growing strong in faith doesn't happen by accident. You don't just wake up one day and say, wow, my faith is stronger today than it was yesterday. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens as we learn by grace how to turn our eyes away from what assails us and how to turn our attention toward Christ and who He has revealed Himself to be. Are you pursuing faith in this way, friends? 
Are you purposefully and consistently putting Christ into focus in your heart and life? Or are you trying to find the strength for faith from within yourself? Listen to the Lord Jesus as He talks to Jairus here. When He calls Jairus away from fear and towards faith, the Lord Jesus is reminding all of us this is the pathway to strength. This is the way that faith grows. Don't focus on the circumstances and don't look within yourself. Look to Me, Jesus says. Look at what I will do and who I am and watch how Jesus' power strengthens those who believe. And if we doubt Him, friends, if there's still that little sliver of doubt, the end of the encounter in the text gives us great encouragement. Notice what happens. Here in Luke 8, Jairus believes on some level. How do we know he believes, you ask? Well, because he still takes Jesus to his house even though his daughter is dead. Why bring Jesus if, if you don't believe that he'll do something? So on some level, Jairus looks to Jesus. He trusts that Jesus can do something. And the result is astounding. Verse 51, Jesus meets the mourners, but He tells them not to mourn. Verse 52, the girl's situation is only temporary like sleep. It's not permanent like death, Jesus says. Verse 53, people laugh at Him, but Jesus is not deterred. He takes a small group with Him to the girl's room. And then with absolute power, verse 54, Jesus raises the girl back to life. With His powerful Word, Jesus gives life to the dead. And if that sounds like a statement that is loaded with Gospel truth, that's because I mean it to be. With His powerful Word, Jesus gives life to the dead. The little girl sits up. They give her food. She's not a ghost. She's really alive. They give her food. They give her something to eat. And Jesus tells them not to spread the news. I think that part's kind of humorous because the girl was dead and now she's not, so it's going to be a little difficult to contain. But even so, Jesus wants people to avoid missing the point about His ministry. He's not merely a miracle worker. He's the Son of God who has come to save His people by defeating sin and death Himself through the power of His own indestructible life. And so the call in verse 56 not to spread the news, you can actually think of that as a call not to miss the point. Don't get so focused on the miracle that you miss the one who performed it. With His powerful Word, Jesus gives life to the dead. And that's where I'm going to end this morning, friends. The focus of faith is always where? On Jesus and on His Word. Even here in Luke 8, you could say that is how Jairus found strength to believe by focusing on who Jesus is and what Jesus said. The focus of faith is always on Jesus and on His Word. Jairus didn't focus on the circumstances. He looked to Jesus and he believed what Jesus said. And it remains that way today, friends. If there was one thing I could, commu I could communicate perfectly to every Christian this morning, it would be that the Christian life really is marked by an incredible simplicity of going to God's Word regularly and believing what He says. Every day. 
You take your heart to the truth of God's Word and you sink those roots of faith down deep into who Christ is and you believe. That's it. Where should we focus when faith is difficult? Where should we fix our attention? We look to God's Word. And in doing so, we focus our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Even the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So I don't know everything you face today, friends. But I do know that nothing on earth rivals the power of Jesus Christ. He calms the storm with His Word. He conquers evil spirits with His Word. He heals the incurable and He even overcomes death itself. Whatever you face today, humble yourself and take the bold step of focusing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Go to God's Word day by day and there, in the face of Jesus Christ, you will find strength to believe. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love You and we are astounded that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd of His sheep, that He does not break the bruised reed or quench the smoldering wick. He doesn't drive us away. He welcomes us. He receives our feeble attempts to believe and He responds with unthinkable power that heals and restores and saves and sustains. God, our prayer today first and foremost, would be that You would magnify Your Son in us and through our church. The Lord Jesus is worthy to be praised. He's worthy for our lives to be spent in devotion to Him. So would You please bring glory to Him through our church? And would You do that, God? Would You bring glory to Him by strengthening our faith in who He is? Help us, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.